Yes, Father, you are truly the King of all kings. As we come to your word this morning, Father, <coughs> may it cut to our hearts. Father, may it be more than an intellectual conversation or an intellectual thought this morning or just learning more knowledge, Father, but may we truly be changed by your word as we come and read it and understand it. We thank you, Father, for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Grab a seat where you guys are, <clears throat> or somewhere else if you feel like it. <clears throat> I grew up in a small town of Tapuki, and uh, in my early teens moved to Papamoa. And uh, if you're not familiar with the area, we, we live right by the uh, coast there, Papamoa on the coast, Tauranga, the ocean, all the way out there. And, and my dad was an avid fisherman, so I never knew a time we didn't have a boat um, in our family. I was going to say at our house, but most of Dad's boats were too big for the house. They were, they were parked up at the marina. And uh, I remember a, a crucial time, and sorry, I should say, growing up on a boat, you would assume that uh, you would get over seasickness. It doesn't happen. Um, so every time I'd go out on the boat, unless it was flat, I would, I would come back sick. And uh, the worst time I can remember, we'd gone out overnight, and the day that we went out, it was flat, pancaked, perfect, yeah, awesome. We, we stayed out at an island called Mere Island, um, woke up in the morning, went for a trawl, hunting after some of the big fish out deep, and uh, the swell picked up. By the time we started coming back in, it was close to three meters, so it's quite big. And you can imagine somebody who gets seasick in half a meter, three meters was pretty horrific. So I was sitting in the back of Dad's boat, just like being thrown around, but then just off the side, and then back in, and I was just, I felt, it's the worst I've ever probably felt in my entire life. And uh, we finally got back to land, and all I could think of was, thank goodness, I'm back on shore. The problem was, is that this was me on shore. The, the waves had affected me to the point where I was still disorientated on land from what I had been through on the ocean. And it was really sucky, because like, I couldn't even drive home, it was, you know, like, and it, was, it was pretty bad. We all have different experiences of being disorientated. I'm sure if I asked you to think about a time that you'd been disorientated, I mean, you know, it was Saturday night last night, but no, not in this church, hey. No, no one got that? Okay. All right, maybe, okay. Good. I'm glad no one got it. That's a good sign. We can all have experience of disorientation. Disorientation normally leads to stumbling, which leads to falling down. We've been going through the series on watching our step. Because in the Christian faith, time and time again, you and I are going to stumble, and we're going to fall, and we need to watch our step. Jeremy started the series, and we've been looking at the disciples, and how every single one of them, when Jesus was arrested, and what the Bible says, when the, when the shepherd was struck, that the sheep scattered. That all their hopes and dreams that they had placed in Jesus seemed to come crumbling down when he was arrested and put on that cross. Today, in our, in our time together, we're going to be looking at James and John, these two brothers um, who come from very humble beginnings and who seem to rise to prominence within the, discipleship, uh, within the disciples, but also still fall away. We're going to then have a key look at them after uh, the cross as well. But we're going to be looking at four ways, sorry, three ways in which we can watch our step and what we learn from James and John and their experience with Jesus. Now, I'm going to make it easy. They all start with S this morning, okay? So it's submission, it's service, and it's suffering. Yeah, I left the bad one for the last, all right? 
submission, service, and suffering. We're going to open our Bibles to Mark chapter 1, and we're going to have a look at the calling of these disciples. We don't get a very long story for a lot of the callings of the disciples. Peter's in one of the Gospels, we see that they bring a whole bunch of fish on board and, you know, a miraculous catch kind of thing. But for a lot of the books of the, New, the Gospels, they, they keep it quite short. And we see in Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 16, that Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, and He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed Him. They had gone a little further, and He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, He called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed Him. You see, one of the crucial aspects to the call and response to Jesus Christ is that in this moment, the disciples here submitted to Jesus. That they were here minding their own business, fishing, going about their life, and then in an instant, the Son of God steps into their life and says, no more fishing, you're going to come and you're going to follow me now. We see and we understand that these men fishing on the Sea of Galilee were probably very simple men. And most likely what we would consider today teenagers, young adults, young boys, that kind of age. They wouldn't have been old. We're not talking grown men who have learned a lot of life experience yet. Probably quite young. They come from a very humble beginning. But it's the same story for you and I, for all believers. Going about our business, a lot of the time completely unaware of what God is up to, and then He calls us. The New Testament says that He calls us out of darkness, out of the kingdom of darkness, and into the kingdom of light. And there's a response when we hear that call. There is a, a response of submission to follow after Jesus. <clears throat> Paul picks this up a little bit, I think, in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath because of His great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace that you have been saved. You've been called out of darkness. You've been called out of living a certain way in order to follow Jesus. The early time we see James and John in the story is that they are leaving behind their old life to take up this new life. Now, this moment is quite hard to understand, maybe if they don't truly know what that means to follow Jesus in this moment, but they knew enough to leave behind their livelihoods in order to follow after Him. You see, the first marker of a life where we watch our step is submission to following after Jesus. And we know this because John, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he writes in the New Testament in 1 John that if you love God, you will keep His commandments. That that is a marker of loving God and being a follower of Him. We all struggle in this area. Because you and I, 
We have our flesh that the Bible describes, our sinful nature. It can still work in us and call us to follow what I want in my life and my own desires. That when my love for certain things are greater than my love for God, I'm going to go after those things. But one of the things that we got to do is we got to bring ourselves back into submission to follow after the call of Jesus in our life. A little bit later on in Mark chapter 9, Jesus just goes on to explain exactly what Jesus is going to do, what is going to happen to Jesus. So in Mark chapter 9, and uh, reading from verse 33, and this is just after Jesus has predicted his death for a second time. It's nice having headings in your Bible to remind you of those things. In verse 33, it says that they came to a place called Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? That doesn't sound like a group of Christians hanging out. But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. See, Jesus knew exactly what they were arguing about, and he knew exactly why they were arguing about it. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve, and he said, Anyone who wants to be first must be last, and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. This key, these key verses here for me, I think actually help us understand why we can be disorientated in the world that we live. Because for you and I, if we're going to live in God's kingdom, if we're going to follow after Jesus, it is so opposite of the world that we live in, that sometimes it can be disorientating whether I'm following Jesus or whether I'm not. Because this verse here is the opposite of the world that we live in. It says here that if you want to be first, you need to make yourself last. That if you want prominence in the kingdom of God, you must be like a child, but you must also welcome a child. And you must be servant of all. I get to spend some time in the high school, and this is the opposite of the culture that is in our schools. This is the opposite of the culture in our government. This is the opposite of the culture in our sports clubs, maybe in the businesses in which you work. Often what happens is we want to rise to a place of leadership and prominence so I don't have to do the hard jobs anymore, so I don't have to do the dirty jobs anymore, so I can pay someone else to do that, so that I can serve myself rather than serve others. God says, or Jesus here says, that is not the kingdom of God. If you are going to submit and follow the call of Jesus Christ in your life, it is going to be disorientating because the life that he calls you to is far different than the world that you are living in. This is what makes it really difficult. is because we're actually having to use wisdom to understand whether the decision that I'm making is a part of what God wants for my life, or whether it's just my own selfish ambition. And we will trip and we will stumble when we follow after our own desires and the way that the world has set up the system rather than serving. 
There's another way that we see this, and that's in our church. God calls us to serve one another and to put ourselves last. Now, I'm going to be quite bluntly honest with our church this morning. We have a very large church, and we love that every single one of you come and gather and love being with us on a Sunday morning. But we have a church ratio where about 10 to 20% of the people do 100% of the work. Now I get we have paid staff. I am blessed to be paid to do what I do and I will serve till the day that I die in the role that God has given me. But having paid staff doesn't mean we don't serve anymore. Our children's ministry is crying out for leaders on a weekly basis. We almost didn't have a sound technician this week to do sound. We have two people who know how to do the live stream. When I look around this church, I'm glad that you are here. But are you living in the ways that God has called you to live by serving those people in this community right here? Or do we come with the world's presuppositions of what life is about, which is, A, I'm either coming to church to be entertained in some way, shape, or form, which will never happen. Sorry. It's not that entertaining. Music's awesome. (laughs) Speaker's average. No, I'm just kidding. It's not that entertaining. Maybe you'll come here to, to prop yourself up and to feel good that you're coming to church on a regular basis and you feel like that is submission to God. You will continually trip and stumble if you don't put your place, if you don't put yourself in a place of service to other believers in your community. Now, if you're unsure of how to serve and how to sign up, that is all good. Come and see us afterwards. We would love to help you get involved. We have many a place where we can serve one another in our church. So first we are called to submit to the call of Jesus Christ, and then we are called to serve. Jesus Christ, and serve one another and put ourselves last. Sometimes when you're reading the Bible, you think, man, these disciples are pretty dumb sometimes. And then I think about my own life and I hold my tongue because I'm pretty dumb sometimes too. Just in the next chapter, in Mark chapter 10, we see James and John and their request of Jesus. Many of you might already know it. We're going to read it out. It starts in verse 35. James and, John's, the, uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want to do for you whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You see, James and John were still disorientated in God's kingdom. They still hadn't fully understood what it meant to live in God's kingdom, to follow after Jesus. They still had some idea that maybe, just maybe, we will be put in a place of prominence. We will be raised up to a place of leadership. Jesus said to them in verse 38, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Say that three times fast. 
Jesus understands what glorification for him means. It means death on a cross. And he looks at his followers, his friends, and he says to them, can you carry that? Can you drink that cup? Can you be baptized with that baptism? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And then another argument breaks out amongst the disciples. You see, James and John, the reason that they scatter, the reason that they fall when Jesus is put on the cross is because they still had the idea, the Jewish messianic idea that Jesus, that the Messiah would come and defeat Rome, defeat the political opponent and raise them back up to be the, the main ruler in all the world. That's what they thought. Put us at your left and at your right in that space. James and John still hadn't fully realized what it meant to live in the kingdom of God, that it meant submission, it meant service, and the final one is it means suffering. Jesus did say to them, you will drink that cup and you will be baptized with that baptism. What did that look like? We see in Acts chapter 12, James ends up killed with a sword by Herod. We see that John is exiled to the island of Patmos. We see that they all go through suffering and hard times because it is part and parcel of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you this not to scare you off, but to understand that if we're not prepared for the suffering, then when we don't watch our step and we trip and we fall, we think that where's God in all of this situation? We think God is absent in our suffering. See, we have a world now which is built around comfort, right? Most of you might go home from today and you'll talk about the comfort. How was it too warm? Was it too cold? Were the vocals okay? We talk about comfort. Was the coffee good enough? We hop in our comfortable cars. We go home, sit on our comfortable couches. I'm not judging that because I have all of that too. That's not what I'm here to say. But I'm saying this is where we can get disorientated. God's kingdom or my kingdom. God's kingdom is one of suffering. Now, here's the thing when I tell you all this. <clears throat> it's impossible. It is literally impossible for you and for I to do all those three things perfectly every time, all the time. And that's not bad news. There's another story that we're going to jump to in Luke chapter 10. And it's going to help us understand where the disciples' hopes should have truly been. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 72 disciples and he gives them an understanding of what they are to go and do. And in verse 17, the 72 return. It says that they returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. It's a good thing to celebrate. Even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see, the only way that we can truly submit serve and suffer is when we have security. The only way, young people, that you can continue 
to be untainted by the school and the world that you live in, is to have your security found in Jesus Christ alone. Our rejoicing should not be at how miraculous things are, how amazing God is, what God gives to us and provides for us. Those are really good things. Rejoice in this. Your name is in heaven. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, I think one of the reasons that we often, we don't submit, we don't serve, and we don't suffer is because we're actually worried about failing in those three areas. I learned a phrase when I first started coming to Cambridge High School uh, about five and a half years ago when I got the job here, and it was, um, the boys used to use it, it's called sweaty tryhard, okay? And basically what it would differentiate between is someone who um, wanted to play a sport but looked like they're not really trying, <clears throat> and others who were like, I'm going to give my best shot and I'm going to do the best that I can. And I'm like, this is a really good thing. We should celebrate this. But in the high school environment, they would call them sweaty tryhards. And as I began to understand what the boys were going through and what our, what our students are going through, what I realized was this, that it was easier to just not try because then you don't look like a failure than to try really hard and fail. I think you and I, we, we have that same wrestle within the within our faith, don't we? People that I've asked to come and host and do things on the stage, I could never do that because I don't want to stuff up. I remember talking to Jess about this and she was saying, people are so critical often in the church that we don't want to get on stage because if we make a mistake, then we're going to be criticized. But the amazing thing is, when you and I have our security, when our names are in heaven, where there's no condemnation anymore, Man, I can get up on stage. My hosting earlier was terrible. My daughter was kicking the microphone. I forgot things. I'm not going to go home and beat myself up because my security is in heaven. I can submit, I can serve, and I can suffer because I am secure because of what Jesus has done. As we come to a time of communion now, I ask you to reflect on those four things. Is one of those four things something that you're avoiding in your life that you need to repent of? Maybe you're sitting here going, I don't know if I'm secure or not. I can assure you that reading your Bible more, coming to church more, and doing more things doesn't make you more secure. Tim Keller just passed away, and there was a quote that um, someone put up from him, and I'm going to butcher it, and that's okay, but I'm going to get the gist of it. It says, when someone's falling off a cliff, Strong faith in a weak branch means nothing. Weak faith in a strong branch branch means everything. Let me pray. Father, we commit this time into your hands. Lord, we know that we can't submit to you, we can't serve you, and we can't suffer for you if we're not secure in who you have made us to be. As we reflect on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see that that is where the disciples entered after that point, God. That they were willing to serve and submit and to suffer for you in light of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because in it, Lord, we see both our ultimate weakness of who we are, that we will fail at all these areas. But also in that moment, Lord, we see our security in who you've made us to be. Come now, Lord, and call us to a place of repentance. 
confess our sins to you and to return to that place with you again. In Jesus' name, amen.